there's four stages of this process of stepping into purpose and, and part of the awakening process as well. The first stage is resistance. First stage is everything sucks and it's like, ooh, and it's just like heavy. And maybe you're in that space of disillusionment perhaps, but generally there's like body physical illness. There are things that are happening to you and everywhere you turn, there's just friction. My life used to feel like I was stuck on autopilot, trapped in the same thought loops, worries, and fears. Then something major happened. Enter psychedelics. My name is Kat Walsh, and you're listening to Trip On This. Join me as we journey together into these mysterious realms, discussing everything from personal transformation, otherworldly experiences, and practical at-home tips. Welcome, fellow traveler, to the land of limitless possibilities. Welcome back, my friends. It is officially the end of 2023 and also the end of Trip on This Season 3. Before I get into introducing today's guest, I want to talk to you a little bit about what's to come for Trip on This Season 4. Trip on This is expanding, y'all. We are expanding beyond just psychedelics. Now, don't worry, psychedelics will still be a major part of this show, but it's not going to be all of it. Because the truth is the thing that lights me up, the thing that I want more than anything for everyone is to actually just know the joy of knowing ourself. And for me, psychedelics have been such a major catalyst for me to know myself, to know my value, to know what I'm good at, to know my worth, to go for my dreams. So that is why Trip on This first had its genesis in psychedelics is because that was my entry point into understanding myself. But it's not the only way. And that is what season four intends to expand on. What are all the ways that we can live our most joyful life? How do we become the best possible versions of ourselves? And how do we have fun while we're doing it? There's currently no set start date for season four yet. But if you are new to Trip on This, don't worry. There are 80 other timeless episodes of Trip on This that you can explore all of the stories. Truly, it doesn't really matter when you're finding them. All the information is valid. The stories are valid. And it's kind of fun to like kind of throw it back. I know for myself, it's a little cringy when you see yourself as someone who's, I don't know, gotten better and, uh, you know, improved her craft, if you will, having to go back and see the early days. It's like, oof. But hey, when I can separate myself and realize it ain't about you, Kat, it's about your guest, I realize there is so much value in going back to any of them. Also, if you're interested in more of a personal journal style podcast, I have another solo podcast called Life with Kat Walsh. And it's really just about me talking about the entrepreneurial journey, talking about life, love, emotions. I'm very open and raw and vulnerable. It's just kind of straight to camera like this. So if you want to be on that ride with me, that is not going to be ending. I just come on and pop on when I have something to say. So if you miss hanging out with me, I miss hanging out with you. Hang out with me on Life with Kat Walsh. All right, now, my season closer, I'm with the one and only Susanna Rose Stokas. Susanna is the co-founder of the House of Metamorphosis, a legally registered church offering plant medicine healing and retreats, and also transformative coaching programs. But the thing that really struck me about this episode is that Susanna used to be a Marine Corps officer on tour and ultimately had a spiritual awakening and is now doing completely different work, you know, working as basically a spiritual coach, a guide, and a plant medicine facilitator. So you can imagine what the arc of this story is, from going from being in combat to what am I doing, what's happening on the inside, right? Finishing out her time and ultimately transitioning into an entirely new life. Her story is a powerful reminder then when we trust and surrender to our heart's call, everything is possible. Lastly, before we get into today's season finale episode, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, New Brew. So we're heading into 2024, and many of you may be thinking about setting new intentions. Maybe you're not wanting to drink as much in 2024. Maybe you're wanting to do dry January. Or maybe even on New Year's itself, you're not wanting to go in with such a crazy hangover into 2024 and might want to start the day feeling good on January 1st. That's why I want to talk to you about New Brew. New Brew is a non-alcoholic adult beverage that's made with low doses of kava root and kratom leaf. 
So what's interesting is kava root and kratom leaf are both psychoactive substances. But when you put them at low doses, like Nubru, which is 125 milligrams of kava and 25 milligrams of kratom, when you pair it together and you have it in kind of like, let's just call it microdose form, it can create feelings of mood enhancement. It can make you feel more connected, more mentally clear. So oftentimes they've gone to barbecues and people are having beers and drinks. And I'm like, cool, I'm going to have a new brew because yes, there's a part of me that still kind of wants to, I don't know, feel a little groovier, but I don't really drink anymore. It's a really interesting alternative for anybody who's maybe interested in cutting down on the alcohol, but still kind of wants to have a little something, especially in those social times. There are three flavors of new brew. There's citrus, berry, and their newest flavor, mango, which is delicious because I love mango. If you're over the age of 21, head over to drinknewbrew.com and you can use my coupon code TRIPONTHIS for 25% off in your order. Again, that's drinknewbrew.com and TRIPONTHIS for 25% on your order. So with that, I pass this season finale episode over to Susanna Stokas. (laughs) All right, let's Let's do do it. it. Susanna, it is so lovely to meet you. Welcome back from Costa Rica. I am so excited for this conversation because you have an interesting story, my dear. So first of all, just welcome to Trip on This. It is so nice to be here, Kat, and to be able to have this beautiful conversation with you. and, And also, I just deeply feel like we need more spaces like this for women to chat about psychedelics and the power of these medicines. So thank you for creating this space. Absolutely. Thank you. So sometimes with Trip on this, I have very direct questions, right? It's very informational based. It's like, okay, we're going to get some info. And then sometimes people come along where I just want to take a ride and learn about their journey. And, uh, When you came into my orbit, I just knew it was story time because not everyone has what feels like two different lives uh, or maybe even more than that, right? Having been a Marine Corps officer, now as a spiritual guide, working with plant medicine, a lot has had to happen between one career and this career. And I feel like, can we go on a ride here and start way back? Let's just like throw it all the way back to even pre- military. Where are you from? Did you grow up in a military home, community? How, how did that even come into your uh, wanting to pursue? It is such a great question. It's so interesting because especially when I was living in California, people were like, why the military? <laughs> and in the South where I grew up, the military is a much more common sort of career path. Um, Mm -hmm. but in California, people were like, I don't get it. I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) I'm from there. I was like, I literally don't know one woman that was, has been in the armed services. So you're my first that I've like really gotten a chance to now speak to about the experience. Uh, Well, it is an honor. People are probably listening are like, what? And I was like, I'm (laughs) from LA. It's true. Like I did not grow up in like a military community per se. So, well, what's, what's so great about that is at, at a very young age, I was watching the women walk across the um, parade field down in, uh, what was it? Paris Island, South Carolina, watching my older brother graduate from boot camp, And as a young girl, I looked over and I pointed and I said, look, dad, there are girl ones. Because at that age, I also had no idea. (laughs) And I think that that's still a very common thing. There is, uh, there are so few women in the military, in the Marine Corps, the percentage is less than 8% female. And so it is like, there's just such a small community of us. And, and so you're not alone in that. And, and starting out, I also was a little bit incredulous to think that there were female warriors out there. And I looked at my dad at that age and I said, I said, I, I think I could do that. And he was like, yeah, you you definitely could. So I, I have always had some very sort of far off clarity into what my future was going to look like. And that was both, and 
foreshadowing here. That was both a blessing and a curse (laughs) of Mm -hmm. deciding Mm -hmm. for myself what my life was going to look like. But I set my sights on being in the military when I was very young, grew up on a farm in Georgia, organic blueberry farm, very idyllic in many ways. And also Mm. foreshadowing as we, as I got older, I did realize that there were there were a lot of traumas that I experienced growing up in, in a family of, of neurodivergent beings. And so I joined the military uh, prime to start off with at the Naval Academy. I went to the Naval Academy and that was my dream. Starting when I was about 12 years old, I discovered that there was a way to both go to college and be in the military. And so I thought, well, that's what I want to do. My father was a Marine Corps officer way back during Vietnam, well before I was born. So there is definitely like a lineage aspect to it of when the, when the family is doing something, right? Um, I thought, well, why can't the girls do it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so what was yeah. that like for you? I, how old were you when you, uh, when you started in the Marine? I, you were saying you, were an, you're, you became an officer as well. So how long were you in the military? What was the experience like being in such a small minority there? Um, was it good? Was it challenging? Just tell, take us take us through it a little bit. Just because I, I honestly, just pure curiosity, yeah. the experience. Being in the military, I will say that in academic environments like the Naval Academy, it felt a lot more even. And we also had a higher percentage right. of women there. So around 20% in each class. Uh, so you had more of like that, a little more of that sisterhood to some extent, but it was still a highly masculine environment. And it was only when I joined the Marine Corps that I started to look at myself in the mirror and be like, oh, I'm, I'm a woman (laughs) and started to notice Mm -hmm. that I was different from others. Mm -hmm. I, I really hadn't experienced that sensation of being different from which I imagine there's so many other communities that that start to feel that when they're very young. So it was when I joined the Marine the Marine Corps and I had a boss, my very first boss, we would call a platoon commander who is for the training mm-hmm. program I was in. And he was uh, he was misogynist and he he was probably the only one in the Marine Corps that I ever met who was like really had a problem with women being in power. Mm-hmm. And that experience was my first true experience of discrimination. And I, and what was beautiful and powerful about that was it lit my activist fire. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I often say that we have to go through some element of deep trauma or something that feels like a, a violation of our human rights in order mm-hmm. to start feeling the anger that then fuels us to do something and to make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And that was the first element that really lit my fire. And I was like, this is unfair yeah. and this is stupid <laughs> that you are in this position of leadership and yet you you are discriminating against not only me, but also a lot of the other women in, in our platoon. And, um, and that was, that was a tough experience. And then joining, and then once I got out into the fleet, I pretty immediately went to Afghanistan and was one of the first of my class from the Naval Academy to be out there and found myself the loneliest I've ever been in my entire life. Like just felt so isolated from the real world, um, the quote unquote real world, although that was mm-hmm. also an element of the real world and, uh, and felt what I felt there was less of a direct discrimination and more of a bro culture of, well, we're friends and we, we got our little click and our crew and you don't look like us. So therefore you're not part of it. And also in the military, there's a a very strong hierarchical system. So there were no other female officers in my entire unit of like 150 people. So, but I also wasn't allowed to really be close with or friends with the enlisted women because there's a, there's like a hierarchy system. So they want to keep you separate simply because you're supposed to be above them. So not a peer. Correct. Yes. Interesting. That's right. Yes. 
And what I discovered was the, not only was the experience of being at war something that really kind of warped my mind, my view on the world, because mm. I've suddenly realized that the people that we were targeting in our, in our strikes, I worked in air defense control. So I was controlling high flying, a team of people that controlled the high flying aircraft and we'd be dropping bombs on people. And that, wow. that was just sort of like, I remember my whole psyche just being like, <laughs> like, right. like record scratch right. because yeah. I thought these people are just people. They're just humans mm. and they're just, you know, doing what, what they feel is best for their family in this moment, or maybe they were, you know, being uh, asked to do so by, by the enemy, but they're not actually quote unquote the enemy who is the enemy. Mm -hmm. And that experience then translated very much internally to myself as a woman of feeling this loneliness and this separation. And so what I, what I feel like I really discovered during both of my deployments was a deep sense of separation from myself, from others, from the world, from earth, uh, all of that. And that, and, and as we know, deep sense of separation generally leads to things like depression, anxiety, mm -hmm. you know, and, and pretty severe mental health challenges. Um, and I would say that that's, that, especially along the lines of the sisterhood element, because also women in the military are encouraged to sort of pit against each other. So because um, there's not a lot of you, I, so it's almost competitive. Yes, exactly. So there's right? so few of yeah. us that it's like, this is my unit. I get to be here. This is my domain. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's a little bit of that cat fighting and then also placing women in a particular category. Like you're either, you're either a bitch or a whore, essentially. You're, you're one or the other. There, there's wow. no, there's no possibility of being a leader or a, or a queen or a, you know, none of that. So yeah. Yeah. it was very fascinating to say the least. And, um, I believe that my desire to be a warrior was stronger than my desire to be in, to live in peace <laughs> at that time. Mm -hmm. And yeah. okay. what I discovered was that what was, yes. You, you exactly. have to know to, to understand like real true peace. You have to know what it is to go to war, right? Like to like really like the, the contrast helps to eliminate peace. Is exactly how I would describe it. That's precisely it. Mm -hmm. Is that that moment of experiencing war gave me, it's like experiencing the night so that we know what the daytime is, what the light is, mm -hmm. right? So I experienced yeah. that, that element of what does it feel what does it mean to feel completely separate, to feel completely not at peace in our system, both within ourselves and within the community that we're in, so that I could then say, oh, now these little elements of peace that I experience in life are so much, so much better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that you, when you finally left, I mean, first of all, just kind of to recap what you were saying, just to feel so many layers of separation. You know, I think a lot of us might feel separation from community, right? Separation from, fam you know, family maybe. Um, but to feel kind of the, a, a multi-layer of separation called I'm first separate from women. I'm separate from our my male colleagues. Somehow we're different. We're not the same now. I Even same mm -hmm. as in like human beings. Like we're not just totally. here like on the same team, even like, I think that at, at the time, right. Um, then the separation of, like you were saying, what most of the world is doing, which is just going on and living and going to work while this is all happening. So not having a lot of people that can really understand what is really taking place for all of you that are there. Um, and we'll never understand, even if you tell a story, right. Um, then the separation on an even more macro level of the separation from the earth, because now you're bombing the earth, right? So it's like the disconnect of, of that, not understanding that, because I feel like we, again, that's like coming, that's the contrast again, you know? And then 
this separation from just man in general, like fellow man, despite them being uh, maybe their religion is different, the the line in the sand is different, their skin color might be different, but it's uh, this separation of like other. And so it just feels like, yeah, what in a what a one difficult to be to feel so much separation at such a young age, but to have enough like somehow clarity of being like this is almost to look at it like it seems like you're almost looking at it like a science project. Like what is this warped experience? And somehow it sounds like there was a part of you that knew that there was another way of being. And I think you're very fortunate that um, you had that maybe potential foresight from way back that you were meant to bring a lot of light to um, the dark. So really beautifully, beautifully, um, thank you for setting that stage. And I'd love to now talk about like, okay, so now what? So you've now been deployed a couple times. When did your soul go like, enough's enough, Susanna? You got to go, girl. Oh, man. Uh, like probably the moment I stepped into the my very first training in the Marine Corps, I was like, I think I'm done already. I'm good. <laughs> Okay, we like, got I here. Think, All right. Yeah, I don't think this is actually where I want to be. But what was mm -hmm. fascinating was, and this was my, um, you know, when people are like, oh, just have patience or, you know, I, I need to like be okay with what is. There is something incredibly powerful about the military because when I stepped into the Marine Corps, I had a five-year contract. So even if I knew on day 12 that I didn't want to be there anymore, I got five years to go. So that's it. Like, I, there's no getting out of that <laughs> unless wow. I intentionally wow. get, you know, kicked out, which is not recommended mm -hmm. for, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And so I knew from a very, very early stage, I would say within the first 30 days, I was like, yeah, I don't think that this is going to be the place where I land forever. And I had to get to a place of peace of knowing that I had committed five years to this and I was going to be doing this for another four years and 11 months, regardless. <laughs> God. <laughs> and then... That you know, would be get, so... Then, that would be like that, just the... That's such a heavy thought to be like, I don't want to be here. And I have four years and 11 months to go. Oh yeah. my yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it go was, on. Sorry. Um, I mean, I think that's probably where I began my Zen practice was just being like, it is what it is. Like this is what it is. And I will be here because there was a commitment I made and I, I do tend to be that kind of person where it's like, I made that commitment, so I'm going to, to play it through. Um, but there is a, it, it has led, I will say, to a, a seeking of freedom after that, right? A seeking of like, I want to be able to do things that are shorter in commitment <laughs> than, mm -hmm. than five years. Yeah, yeah, time. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go here for the weekend, okay? <laughs> yeah, precisely. Yeah. So, uh, what was what was also great was I've noticed that organizations or people who no longer, uh, if my energy doesn't match it, then there will start to be uh, a break in that anyway. There will mm -hmm. naturally be like a, okay, you should go that way. Like we don't really want you yeah, here, yeah, yeah. because I spent a lot of time in the Marine Corps doing um, a lot of activism work around women uh, and around women being more equal. And what was incredibly beautiful, and, and although I speak about some of the leaders who were more misogynist in their ways, there were a few leaders, and I would be remiss to say their, their presence in my life because they really championed me and they championed my work mm -hmm. and, and helping women become more accepted and, and more equal in the workplace, things like that. So I taught a lot of that and also um, ruffled some feathers in that process of, of being an activist. Yeah. So by the time my five years came around, it was pretty clear that um, I, I, was, I did not want to go forward. And the Marine Corps was like, yep, here's the door. Bye. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Thanks for the perspective. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, Mm -hmm. so it wasn't going to be a lifelong journey, but I also got an offer. Um, I had a very serendipitous opportunity where Sheryl Sandberg had, I'd been in touch with Sheryl Sandberg, who was once, once upon a time, the COO of Facebook. And, um, I was in contact with her and she essentially, when I was getting out of the Marine Corps, she was like, well, where are you going? (laughs) And I was like, I don't know. I'm going to go get my master's maybe. And she's like, don't do that. Come work at Facebook. And essentially there was, there was a, a, an, another open door. And this was when I started to discover cat, the, the magic of the universe of like synchronicities. I was like, Oh, this Mm -hmm. is surreal. The things that are happening, the things that are lining up, the doors that are closing. And this is where I learned rejection is protection and redirection. Like don't hang, don't get hung up on where you're not wanted just turn and look because you are wanted somewhere else. And that really drove me toward working. And I had no, I'd never had any intention of working in the corporate sector um, because I'd always wanted to do nonprofit work and more philanthropic work. And working at Facebook was the next open door. And it was like right there. And it was like, well, (laughs) you going to do it? And so I did. How was that? Yeah, it was, um, well, what I learned there uh, was the Mm -hmm. opportunity to connect with these leaders who were working on international scales, like big, big, big organizational Mm -hmm. um, impact in the world. And it was also where I began to engage with psychedelics because I finally had a little bit more freedom. I wasn't getting drug tested Mm -hmm. like I was in the Marine Corps. I was... uh, finally able to open myself to these parts of myself uh, a little side story was I had always been like the hippie in every organization I had been in I was always the one that was okay. getting people to come and, and do a yoga class or I was teaching yoga mm-hmm. I was like teaching meditation in Afghanistan like I was always that person and I had never <laughs> I just never thought about it. And I was like, oh, well, this is just, you know, we're, we're helping our body and soul. But at Facebook, I finally had the opportunity to really lean hard into my, my hippie self, right? My, my sort Mm -hmm. of what I thought to be a hippie self, which really was a spiritual leader that was, that was within me that I had not awoken yet. And Uh, And so I began working with psychedelics recreationally, like many people who live in the Bay Area Mm -hmm. and and also in in some festivals and things like that. And the very first time I sat with um, I sat with LSD and I was breathing and watching the entire planet breathe. First trip LSD? First trip was LSD. Okay. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. I, and I actually, um, I, I would say, although I won't put this in the same category as psychedelics, I did engage with MDMA before LSD. Um, so I had, I had had a couple of experiences with MDMA that were beautiful and very loving and very cuddly and also didn't open me to that psychedelic world. But when I had my first experience, first trip with any psychedelic, it was LSD And I was watching the trees breathe. And I remember thinking back to growing up on on the farm and feeling that same feeling of everything being alive around me. And I realized that while I was at war and while I was doing these things in the world and experiencing these darknesses, these communal, these societal darknesses, I had lost touch with that connection. And that was the first moment that I got it back. It was in that moment that I actually was told by the medicine, it was like, this is not just a recreational thing for you. It was like, this is, yes, it can be used for play and fun. That's wonderful. And this is much more for you. And you need to explore that. And you need to go deeper and to do it in a more formal way, in a more ceremonial way. And it began to help me remember elements of my past lives and elements of other, of other lifetimes. And, and from that moment, uh, 
um, began my work then with my own healing process of healing the PTSD I'd experienced, of sexual assault, of all of these elements of my past, of childhood trauma, uh, working through those through ceremonial settings of psilocybin, ayahuasca, San Pedro, some really 5-MeO DMT, um, Mm -hmm. and each one led me to the next, and it ultimately led me to um, working with with psilocybin mushrooms. So lots to unpack here, but I think the first question I really want to ask is when you were now diving into your healing journey, uh, this is going to be a two-part question. One, were you doing a lot of solo journaling? Jur- <laughs> solo journer- 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 journering? Journeying? <laughs> That's a hard journering? word. That's hard. Oh, my God. I don't even know. I can't even see it in my head. All right. Journey. Solo trips, you guys. <laughs> were you doing solo trips or guided? My goodness gracious. I'm going to keep that in, too, for everyone, just so you know. I hope you do. Um, and then uh, also... Can you talk about one of maybe the, one of your most profound or memorable experiences and what was the molecule that you were working with? Mm, mm. Mm. Yes. So I was both working with, this is, this is a really good question question. Cause it's been now time has dilated. So I'm like, <laughs> when was that mm-hmm. period of time? I would say that, Yes, I have been working both in ceremony, recreation, and solo journey of of intentional self-administering of medicine, all three of those. And I would say Mm -hmm. that at the beginning of my journey of my exploration, it was primarily, at the very beginning, it was recreational. And then the the, the voice of the medicine became very loud. (laughs) And it was like... Mm -hmm focus, <laughs> do some work. Yeah. Like you've got some work to do. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, okay. And then, and then it became more guided by others because I was like, oh, I don't really think I know best. I don't know best how to heal myself. So I went to others. Mm-hmm. And then after s- several journeys with others and in other containers, I then began to, to work alone and, and by myself. And then, Mm -hmm. and actually during that period, people began to come to me unexpectedly without my advertising and them say, will you take me on my first journey? (laughs) And it became clear that, that this was the work that I was here to do. Um, and I, yeah, I will tell you, so the, the, probably the most memorable of all experiences was a a recreational experience that was also there was like a mini section that was almost like a self a self journey experience so Mm -hmm. I was at a a beautiful vineyard with some friends in California and we were engaging with with psychedelics and also music and you know it was it was a recreational day and I went over to one of the nearby like mountains essentially because I got I was called there by my intuition it was like you need to go meditate and although the molecule I was working with that day was LSD I had completed a journey with 5-MeO DMT about two weeks maybe a month before and So although I would say that I, the day of I was working with the molecule of LSD, which, you know, originally comes from a mushroom as well. And I, so I consider it to be a mushroom medicine. Um, the the presence of 5-MeO-DMT was still very, very powerful in my system. And I, at that point in time, had not understood the power of how open my channel was. <laughs> and then adding LSD on top of that was a big thing. Mm-hmm. And super so highway I went spirit? super highway, like yeah. <laughs> this is like eight lane highway to spirit. Uh-huh. I go and I sit down and I'm like, oh, be bopping around. Like I'm just going to meditate today. And I sit down and whoosh, it is like a tornado of energy comes into the center of my body, which I would imagine a lot of people in 
perhaps kundalini, things like that experience. But this was my entire body became the tornado. And everything in my life was whirling about me, right around me. And I began to receive, and it was almost almost like, like tapes of the information of how my parents and my family and my lineage matches up in my body to make me the perfect being for what I do and why I'm here. And it essentially, that information, as if it were like on a movie, you know, like an old movie reel, right? Mm-hmm. All came down into me and said, this is your purpose. This is why you're here. You are a healer. You're here to do healing work. And and it gave me all the details of how my mother's lineage led to this person, to this person, to this person, and then how my father's lineage as well. And my father's lineage was were all um, spiritual leaders. They were all leaders in the Methodist church, the Quaker church, a lot of pacifists and and beings who were v- deeply holy people. And my mother's lineage was full of this particular frequency of abundant love, of loving others as if they were your family, lots of adoption and taking in of people who were not their own um, in that family. And, um, and also witchcraft and earth energy, like earth wisdom. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it became like perfectly clear in that moment and it was like, this is your purpose. And then it woke me up because <laughs> by that time I was laying on the ground and I felt the whole earth like hold me um, and just like sank into her and felt that that deep connection with her and all things and all of the reasons why I was here. And it was like, you got to it was kind of like a almost sassy. It was like you just stop doing all this other stuff that you're doing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes I feel like uh, spirit, universe, that voice can be very direct. It's very clear. It's like, no, this is how it is. And you're like, oh, oh, oh okay. No, oh, okay. no room for <laughs> discussion here? <Okay>. Nope. <laughs> no, no room for discussion. Like, you can discuss if you want, but... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. The answer's still the amongst same. yourselves, but come <laughs> yes. on back and this is going to be the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is, and that was what, what then led me into the slow disillusion, they're dis- dissolving and, and actually feeling very disillusioned for about a year of sort of walking around as if I was like half in my body, right? Like a little bit shell-shocked. Yeah. And, um, and I use that word very literally in many ways, um, of, of just being like, Oh, everything is, everything is wrong. Everything is just, it's all wrong and everything has to change. And, and I felt this sense of like, why, why am I moving my hands doing this paperwork? Why am I looking at this spreadsheet? Why am I, you know, the why, why, why? And, um, and that ultimately led me to, to the work we do now. And, and what I know now about the process of stepping into purpose was that that moment, that, that time of disillusionment was the time of my, my deconstructing the old self, the old being, and then the reconstruction of the new self. And it was very Mm important. important and very intentional, but it, it can be a little uncomfortable at times. <laughs> totally. Well, thank you so much for sharing that extraordinary story. I have heard that before where people are almost, um, I forgot what they, what they called it in certain other, like God smacked almost like when people psychedelics or not that have had those kind of, um, uh, you know, room fills with just all white light, you know, just a, a total, uh, experience that will never be understood through the mind, right? And um, the recalibration that needs to happen after something like that. Also, you know, I, as I listen to your story, that the stages, right, of that more like spiritual awakening, uh, it seems, I, it's interesting because I feel like there is a little bit of an, uh, a human arc when it comes to our awakening paths. It looks different and how long we stay 
in certain areas changes. But for instance, uh, something shakes us, right? Whether that's grief or finding out about something or like in your case, um, on, on otherworldly mystical experience, right? Uh, then that, that next arc of seeing a lot of darkness in the world, seeing the world, you know, the, like you're saying, being just incredibly disenchanted with everything, seeing, uh, you know, maybe looking at the government, maybe look at every, everything feels like, wait, my, everything that I thought, um, is basically the opposite. So that takes how long we're in that stage depends on the person, right? Like some people, some people don't want to escape that one and they stay in a very, um, in that more angry phase of the awakening path, which is just wanting to keep going deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. We know that rabbit hole goes deep, but eventually uh, we can get lost in that maze. So then to begin to start coming out and recalibrating being like, okay, all those things are happening. And what, now what do we, are we going to, it's, is it, is that furthering my life ultimately to stay there? And, um, the stepping into purpose is now the area that's, I love even my questions. I haven't even barely had to look at them just cause it's, I'm just been on the ride. Like I thought I was going to be, um, but this is kind of the next phase, which is this, this trust and surrender into, well, now what? So now what was the process of you're going into a whole new career path? Talk, talk to us about the how, and also self-limiting beliefs, trust, surrender, like having been on this path myself, I know it's not easy. You get the hit and then life happens. Can you talk to us now about what happens next? Yeah. Oh, it is, it is such an, an empowering and powerful journey. And I, I really honor your point around, we can get stuck. We can absolutely get stuck, just like with everything. Right. But we can get yep. stuck in that, in that phase of like, well, this sucks and it just sucks period. And there's nothing beyond that. Yeah. And I do tend to be someone who I, I can't take it sucks for an answer. It just doesn't. I'm like, but why? <laughs> why yeah, does yeah. it suck? Does it need to? <laughs> does it need to suck? Can Can't we it get it to not suck? <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm, and, I'm with you, girl. I'm definitely, oh, I'm definitely man. there. Like, all right, I'll be here for a second. But like, okay, yeah. I like being happier. <laughs> I choose let's happy. Find <laughs> let's find something way less sucky yeah. to do. At yeah, least yeah, yeah. in the meantime, while we're waiting. <laughs> yeah. And. Yeah. What I discovered was, I love that you said trust and surrender. So I dis I I worked on um, and I have programs about this, but essentially there's four stages of this process of stepping into purpose and and part of the awakening process as well. The first stage is resistance. First stage is everything sucks and it's like ooh and it's just like heavy. And maybe you're in that space of disillusionment, perhaps, but generally there's like body physical illness. There are things that are happening to you and everywhere you turn, there's just friction. It's just frictiony. And I experienced that during this period of time where I was awakening with psychedelics, I experienced that in the corporate world. I experienced that in my physical body. My body started to just fall apart kind of from the inside out and mostly in my pelvic region. And I was like, uh, something, my body's trying to tell me something. Yeah. yeah. What are you like, trying to say to me? Excuse me. <laughs> Please yeah. stop doing this. Can you this. clarify? You're speaking in <laughs> symbols and I'm trying to... I'm trying to just like piece it all together, but like, how about just like a really, just like give me a post-it note or something. Yeah. You know? Can I just have like a sign? <laughs> what should I says, do? God. This is the problem. <laughs> just kidding. And what I realized was the stress of trying to live in, um, like, um, like Jim Carrey says, depression is your avatar saying that it doesn't want to play this character anymore. And I mm, love, I love that because that. that's great. Oh yeah. yeah. He's got some great one liners. And, and that, that moment of realizing my body was falling apart because, because it was saying, I don't want to play this, this character anymore. This is not me. This doesn't feel like me. And then the second phase of that was trust. 
And what that required for me and the big things that came up in that part of the journey was after I experienced the disillusionment, I started to get information from my guides and from the universe and spirit. And I started to hear these guidances more clearly. And it basically was like, you need to go find someone who will train you to serve mushrooms. You need to quit your job. (laughs) And then you need to start doing this full time. And I was like, uh, (laughs) wait a minute. Where the trust comes. Bills and things. And wait, what? Human things. Right. And I'm like, I live in San Francisco, like one of the most expensive cities in the world. We own a condo. I had all the excuses, right? I have a mortgage. I have a cell phone bill. I have all these things that I'm doing and I can't change my life too much. When in fact, and actually the second phase is surrender. Who am I kidding? Um, Surrender. It's like you just got to surrender. You just have to let go and literally fall backward and say, this is... I hope something's here to catch me. And I also know that no matter where I put myself, I will be safe. I will have the abundance that I need to have. And that surrender builds into trust, into that like long-term feeling of I am being supported by something much greater and much bigger than than myself. And as, And when I choose to live in alignment with that, then there will always be something there to quote, catch me. Yeah. And it's the rug's not going to be pulled out from under my feet, but there is still, there are 3d considerations to this. There's real world considerations. And this is why I think a lot of people will go one way or the other. So they'll have a spiritual awakening and they'll either be like, okay, I'm going to sell everything and I'm going to move to India and live in an ashram for, for the rest of my life. And they get there And then they're like, oh, like, I don't know if I can stay here for this long. Yeah. (laughs) This might not be the lifestyle I want forever. (laughs) Or they have a spiritual awakening and they get to a point and they say, it's too hard. Like, I just, I'm going to, I'm going to go back into the corporate world. I'll have my little altar at my desk and I'll burn incense and I will wish that I did the thing, but I'm not going to. And to me, there's somewhere in the middle that we can that we can really build a beautiful 3D earthly life. And to me, that is all about integration. And that requires time. It requires being remaining grounded on this beautiful earth and also building out the spiritual practices that help you expand at the same time. So you have both of those, right? You have the level of, okay, I'm surrendering. And also I'm not going to quit my job and, and then start this. Maybe I'm going to hold on to my job for a little bit longer, build a little bit more equity. And then I'm going to slowly but surely build this practice up. And when that practice, which is something that we have the freedom to do in our world now, once this practice starts to grow to a level that can really support me, then I can gently kind of lean, lean away from, from the corporate world. And still it requires a level of surrender to leave. I had somebody say like the W2 drip, (laughs) like the drip of that W2. (laughs) It's, it's hard to leave. It's very difficult because you have such safety in that. And also the freedom that my soul has experienced and the last phase of the awakening process I call play because once I have surrendered fully and I have fallen off backward off the cliff and the universe caught me multiple times and then I build a long-term practice of trusting myself the universe how I work in cohesion in this new soul driven path then I can just play. My whole life is play. Everything I do, all of the the work that I do is play because it's aligned right. fully with what I'm here to do. So, 
Yeah, mm. that's that's beautifully generally said. what happened. Said. And I, I love that you're speaking to the practical because this is uh, this is probably like the thing that I'm the most passionate about is cultivating that inner voice, right? The voice of intuition that we all have, the thing that we we know we know what's best for us usually, for the most part. And we also know usually like if we don't know what to do yet, that's because we're not meant to do, know yet. Eventually we'll, we, we know and then sometimes we resist the knowing. Sometimes it's a difficult conversation we don't want to have. Sometimes it's leaving a job. Sometimes it's like, you know, it, oftentimes it's like highly inconvenient. So there's the um, part of us that like doesn't want to get uncomfortable, which I totally understand, has to, like you said, resist have to resist it goes into the whole resistance and finding ways to continue your soul path and still live in the world I think is such an important aspect and it's more than just an altar because the vision is still on what you ultimately want to do and you know for me personally I don't recommend it to people but mine was like very um (laughs) it wasn't moving to India but it was like I somehow thought that I there was a zillion signs and synchronicities about how I was going to basically get here and and like I should do this thing and I thought okay somehow the universe I'm going to be like a huge podcast host and this is what I'm going to do for my all my income and it's going to happen like this because I only had about three months of savings and I was like <laughs> yeah right cool sure. so this seems like a logical plan living in Los Angeles and um it wasn't it was completely illogical and I was in a shitload of fear However, I kept getting the message because the one nice thing was that I also had also had a, my own version of a very conscious mystical awakening. So that shook, I will, that lives indelibly in me. It, it, it is part of me now. So I was like, okay, there's something more. When I hear, I have a direct experience of something much bigger than myself. So it makes it a lot easier to trust. And this is, I'm going to, this is going to lead to another question that I have, but, um, so when I kept getting the hit to, I kept just hearing, you're going to have everything that you need. You're going to have everything that you need. And I am not kidding when I say I had like $200 in my bank at certain times in my life with like $3,500 of bills the next month. I was like, (laughs) Okay. And I would be like praying. I'd be like, okay, am I, am I doing this wrong? I'm, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I'm, I would start laughing. Like I, I would finally, I'd be in like tons of fear. And then I would get into like almost hysterical laughing and be like, girl, you are losing your fucking mind or something. I don't even know, but I keep hearing like, I'm going to have everything that I need. And I would just somehow really get to that place of like, I mean, okay, I don't even know what's happening. And then like, boom a miracle would happen. And then a tax return I could have never saw coming. That was four times the amount that I could have ever, that I ever had in my life, let alone like I had been working. I had never had a tax return like that. So suddenly I was, I I could get through like just a little bit more. And then like, boom, like more miracles. Like you're saying, trust falls. Uh, Eventually like the universe is like, okay, now it's time to build a foundation. Now do you believe that you don't, if, if I had pulled the plug on myself, and my dream at any moment, I would have never even saw the miracle was ready to come in. There, there actually took for me a level of radicalness as part of my path to be able to, I think, speak about it. Um, I don't say that that needs to be for everyone. And it sounds like you're saying the same thing. And I think that's, that's right. I think it's like I had to experience a very radical version of it so that I understood for myself that I am being guided and that there is something here to catch me when I am aligned to where I need to go. However, the thing that I, now there's, there's no right answer. And I think this is going to just be a really interesting discussion because a lot of people are not necessarily spiritual. A lot of people do not believe that there is any universe, God, intelligent consciousness that is the fabric of the experience itself, right? It makes it, it makes the, so when they, when they ask, okay, what am I surrendering to? How do I trust a process when I don't believe there's anything to surrender to? Is this how we get further in separation? Or what do we, what do we say without, without changing people's minds, right? Because my intention here is not for people to be like, only good things happen to you if you believe in a higher power in the universe. And it, it's, it's got to be confusing for people that also don't believe that to surrender then. Because then the mind will go to what? Hmm. 
This is super powerful. Question. I know this is not, this is not like a, <laughs> I, I just want to bring it up because I don't I have love quite it. the answer. I mean, my partner has been among that group <laughs> for some time. So I, I live in a, in a deeply partnered connection with someone who does not have the same experience of the universe or the connectedness of all things as I innately have always really had. And I, to answer that direct question, it doesn't feel like it's my job at all to, to convince anyone otherwise, because also everyone, it is so important that people come to the conclusions on their own and to find the solution that Mm -hmm. works for them. And this is why I work with psychedelics. (laughs) Because after you have a mystical experience (laughs) with psychedelics, Mm -hmm. tell me that there is nothing bigger or different or just beyond, right? It doesn't have to look like the old man with a white beard. It doesn't have (laughs) to look like, right? Like it doesn't have to look like the deities that we see, you know, in monuments. It doesn't have to look like any of that. It could be just beeps and boops on a computer. It can be ones and zeros. It can be, there's so many expressions of what I feel, quote unquote, God is. I have a relative of mine who is married to a man who is highly spiritual. He's my uncle. And he is a deeply religious being. And she is not, she considers herself an atheist. And yet the way that she connects with nature and the way she finds meaning and connection and, and abundance in the natural world is her God. It's her version of universe. It's her version of spirit. And so I would just offer to everyone, find it, find the thing that you can surrender to. It could be the connection, the love of the family that you experience in this world. It could be your, the creativity that you experience. Maybe you're a singer, right? It does not have to look like what my version looks like. It doesn't have to be a quote unquote spirit guide or an angel form of anything. None of those things have to be true for you. And that is actually one of our missions at Metamorphosis in in the organization is to encourage decentralized spirituality. Be spiritual in whatever form that takes. You could be dancing and just moving your body to the quote unquote most unspiritual music. Half the music I listen to is like rap from like deep south <laughs> like I love it. there's I love a lot it. of quote-unquote unspiritual shit that goes down in those lyrics mm-hmm. and I find the most expansive moments of my life moving my body to that so I would just encourage people to find it and and even yeah. if it's sitting outside and looking at the birds well that was an extraordinary answer from going from like, it's not my job. And yet, like, I couldn't think of a more perfect answer Mm. to how inclusive that was. And also what I hear from that is connection. Ultimately, spirituality, almost synonymous with connection. And that actually feels pretty right, actually, because whether it's like you're saying connected to angels, or beings or nature or music or dance, that connection is inherently spiritual. And so I love the idea of even, you know, speaking of dance, I actually, there's a woman named uh, Dr. Merritt Moore. She's a quantum physicist and a professional ballerina. She gets her, her information around the work that she studies and life and how she um, ideas, because when you're talking about quantum physics, you're talking massive imagination, right? Like that you're, that's so, that's me is so close to spiritual because of just the, you're, we're talking about the fabric of reality in that, in that. And yet the way that she brings in information to what to study is through dance. So that is her surrender. Her connection through dance is her channel into what she does, into thought and how she cries out her emotions and all of these different things. And so 
a spectacular answer and a great way to now go into a little bit about the work specifically that you're doing. You talked about the House of Metamorphosis. Can you tell us a little bit more about where you're at? What are you doing? Can people visit? Yes. (laughs) Please come. Please join us. So what we do at Metamorphosis is uh, we our, our, our sort of work is to help people remember truth, whatever their truth is, which to me also is purpose, is ikigai, is your reason for being. It is a place where we intend to transform human experiences, to give people an opportunity to shift and to change in a more easily easy and efficient and light and joyful, playful way so that when you're going through an awakening journey like this, first of all, you have a community to do it with. You have other people who are like, oh yeah, I've been there. Like, And to me, yeah. that connection, <laughs> just that connection alone, and maybe it's not a spiritual awakening. Maybe it's just a divorce that probably turns into some right. sort of awakening presence. <laughs> maybe yeah. it's the death of someone that's important to you, right? Whatever that is that brings you into that space of transition. House of, it's a house of embodied metamorphosis. We were, Nevada state government wouldn't give us house of metamorphosis. So thanks, Nevada. But house of embodied metamorphosis <laughs> is a 508C1A. And so we have created an organization that's a, that allows us to legally work with plant medicines as our sacrament and we hold events all across the United States and also in Costa Rica. Um, and essentially, we also have microdosing programs and other programs that you can do virtually in order to continue your, your integration. Because what we discovered and something that I personally experienced in a lot of the containers that I went to was a lack of support with integration because people are like, oh, it's one and done. Here you go. Here's the medicine. And then see ya. I'll never mm-hmm. see you again. Mm-hmm. And that's a big problem in the Western world where in, in Peru, you can go home and your mother and your aunt and everybody in your whole house has has sat with ayahuasca so they can have that mm-hmm. beautiful connection with you. But here, most people who are engaging with plant medicine don't have that. So we want a community and we want an integration program that is robust enough to really support the full process. And then the second piece that we focus on is completion. And this is something that I feel is a little bit novel in, in a lot of medicine containers. But if you come with an intention or a pattern that you wish to release fully and never, ever go back to that, we, we work with that. We do that. We complete patterns entirely and that process was a whole journey of of trust for myself of recognizing that we actually can complete patterns and be done so that then we can work on our dharma our purpose our you know the 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 things in our life that expand us um so metamorphosis is um virtual and then we have events all over all over the world in the country and you can look at that on our website, metamorphosis.ventures. Um, and I'm also, you know, if there are those who are interested in talking about the entheogenic church method, all of those things, um, we teach a lot about purpose, about stepping into your purpose and how to build the practical things that will help you to be in that. The completion part, I think that is so fascinating and needed. And you're right. I don't hear about that much. I think there's a, maybe people don't want to feel like the responsibility of like helping people to complete it. But the thing is, is like people really do need continued support to do the thing. And also like how nice to like, if you went and you were like struggling, even like smoking or something like that, or you want to start a new business and like to also have somebody who was with you from the beginning to like cheer you on, to celebrate the process, to have someone like witness the, that piece doesn't mean you're going to be with them for their whole life, but like I started the business and it's just like, check in with me, let me know. But to know that they've gotten there and it's not just like, okay, we've got five scheduled integration calls and then whatever happens after that later. Uh-huh. It sounds like I just love that there's, um, you've got a friend and an ally that is with you through the trenches and is with you to celebrate and see like in the play phase, like you were mentioning 
to see you in that phase to be like, it feels really good to be on the side. Not to say that we don't keep finding new trenches, but at least we the, the trust and so we already know the process now. So it, I feel like it becomes a little bit less scary and arduous because we're like, oh, right, that's just life. What goes up must come down and what goes down goes right back up. So once we understand that that is just part of how this thing goes, it doesn't have to go so slow. The less we resist the contraction, the, the quicker we get back into expansion. Precisely. And I think this is what people get to see too, right? It's it's one of the things that we're missing in our culture is intergenerational community experiences and, and communities in general tribes, right? Where we get to see the different stages of life or we get to see people in different stages of their process. And so then it becomes less unknown. And we've been hiding mm-hmm. a lot of our processes in this culture because we have the culture of perfectionism and the cult of personality and all of these things that are like, I'm great. Everything's great. It's totally fine. And also mm-hmm. in the shadows, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm sobbing and, and under the covers. And in fact, we want all, we want people to share that process. We want you to share those processes with each other. And like you said, celebrate and play so that you can see that when you are in the trenches, there's something to look forward to. Like, well, Tom did it, right? Tom did exactly (laughs) this. So I can get to where he is. And to me, this is this is really what that's why we do monthly community calls. So for anybody who's attended any of our events, any of our online programs, they are invited to our community calls. We have an online uh, a virtual group, all those things. So, yeah, it's it's the greatest honor of my lifetime so far to to be working with two of my sisters in this work. Another another element that we totally broke barriers on is that there's three women doing this. And um, oh, cool. and that is unthinkable to, to my previous Marine Corps self of working with two women. Yeah. We hold women's retreats, uh, every, every couple retreats. And I'm like, me? I'm holding, I'm holding women's retreats. <laughs> well, Susanna, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your love and wisdom. I I personally took so much from this today. And so if I did, I know everybody else did as well, or at least a little bit. So thank you. Thank you so much again. I'll make sure to link everything that you mentioned about where people can find you. Um, I'll put your socials. We'll connect after and I'll make sure I've got all those, all that information. Thank you so much, Kat. This was just such a pleasure. And I am deeply grateful for, for spaces like this and for your guidance, um, through this, through this beautiful discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And for everyone, as always, trip on this.